0: Hello, and welcome to Dare to Use the F Word. This is the podcast that brings you stories about a new generation of feminists. I'm Rebecca Lee Douglas.
1: And I'm Pam Phillips. I work for the Barnard Center for Research on Women. Dare to Use the F Word is a production of Barnard College and the Barnard Center for Research on Women. This week, our podcast is about feminism and food activism in the South
0: Bronx. We have an interview today with South Bronx food activist, Tanya Fields. Pam, you're here today because Tanya's work is really important to you personally. Would you mind telling the listeners what the concept of food activism actually means?
1: Okay, so activism is simply taking action um, to affect social change about a particular issue. Food activism is taking action to affect change in the areas of food inequality, safety, security, um, things like contaminated food transport and inadequate funding, um, inspections and oversight, things like that. My food activism is about food inequality. The quality of food you get depends on the demographics of your neighborhood. So I'm from a low-income neighborhood. If I want fresh vegetables, I have to go to a nearby, more affluent neighborhood. When I met Tanya Fields, who we're talking with today, she was speaking at a workshop on environmental justice. And so she outlined problems of access to fresh produce, health problems, the need to eat healthier foods. She was very straightforward. I learned a lot from following Tanya's movement. So now I'm focusing on school. Um, and getting my master's in urban policy. I'll try to apply my knowledge of theory and policy analysis to my passion for urban poverty and all of that falls under that umbrella.
0: So Tanya's work is all about empowering low-income women of color who live in the South Bronx through food, and she's really working to change the lives of her community members. Pam recently interviewed Tanya in her office in the South Bronx. I recorded the conversation.
2: I grew up in a single-parent household. My mom and my dad were around, but my dad was our primary caregiver. I had been bused into school from Harlem. So I went to school in the 80s, and instead of the public education system fixing schools in struggling, working-class, low-income neighborhoods, a few of us got to get bused to more fluent neighborhoods to go to public school. I'd gone to predominantly white schools, and the black kids and the Latino kids that were present there, really came from neighborhoods like my own. So I had a very sort of limited view of the kind of communities that we came from. I then went to Brooklyn Tech for high school and there were a lot of West Indian kids. I was constantly being asked what kind of black I was. And then I'd be like, I don't know what you mean. They'd be like, oh, you just regular black. So I just never really felt like I fit in with a lot of the black kids that were there. When I went away to University of Maryland Eastern Shore, which is, it's historically black college, I got to see for the first time that black folks aren't just one monolithic group of people. You know, you had your Jack and Jill kids, you had kids from struggling communities in PG County, you had kids from all black middle-class communities out in, you know, Silver Springs. You had some kids who were rough and tumble from Baltimore that was so healthy for me in terms of giving me perspective on what it meant to be black and exist in this space. The second year, when I was to come back, We found out two weeks before I was to go back that our Parent PLUS loan wasn't going to be renewed. And my father, as a single father, could not afford to send me to school for $1,200 a month and still had the responsibility of taking care of other children. I took a semester off and then enrolled in Baruch. My first semester in Baruch, I got pregnant, you know. I was working full time, I got a little boyfriend and thought I was grown, and then before you knew it at 21 years old, I found myself expecting a child, and so I was
1: frightened. Tanya could no longer afford to live in the neighborhood in Harlem that she grew up in and so reluctantly she moved to one of the New York neighborhoods that she could afford, the South Bronx. I was faced with poor air quality,
2: um, lack of access to healthy food, not a lot of resources, not many cultural offerings that resonated with me. I felt very disconnected. I felt very alone. I was here struggling, working full-time, going to school full-time, and raising this tiny little baby. And shortly afterwards got pregnant again. I had to really be a grown-up. By the time I was 23 I had a family. I came here, however, from Harlem with many of the similar predispositions that people have about the South Bronx. It's dirty. And to be quite honest with you, when I got here, that's what I saw, and that still exists. But I didn't have the historical context, I didn't have a support system, I didn't have a community. I was just a young woman who was living in a community not because she chose to live there but because it's the only place she could afford and she had gotten gentrified out of the place that she had called home for her whole life and so that didn't give me the perspective that I have now. I do have community, I've been able to build community, I've been adopted into community, I have appreciation for the culture that's here and the, and, and the culture that is starting to present itself now. I probably was in this community for at least four years, feeling very disconnected. I didn't do anything in the Bronx. I'd get on a train, go into Harlem, go to Upper West Side, go to Chelsea, the West Village. Those are the places that I frequented with my children to go get culture and buy food if I wanted certain types of food, trying to lug it you know, back on the train with two small children who can't keep still. I was going from working full-time to ending up on welfare, back to working full-time, sort of this cycle in and out of the welfare system. There was no reason that someone who had my abilities and my talent and my drive would be struggling this way. So after four years of feeling very disconnected from my community, I said to myself, well, this is probably as good as time as any to figure out what your neighborhood looks like. I was feeling, you know, adventurous. I said, I'm going to walk a different way so I can get to know my community. I don't care if I get lost. I'm going to take this opportunity to get lost and know the community. And I see this storefront. And it's got this big sign above it, this is Madres in Movimiento, which is like mothers in movement. And I'm saying, well, I'm moving, I'm a mother, so clearly this is speaking specifically to me. So I'm standing there looking at all of these posters they have plastered in the window. And the executive director, who is still the executive director, Wanda Salomon, came out. She said, well, why don't you come in? So I walked in and she asked me a series of questions, you know, when did you move here? What do you think of the community? I talked about everything negative that I had experienced, all my struggle. Wanda was like, I can't fix all your problems, honey. But everything you say has validity. And let me tell you about what's happening in this community. And that, that day, my education started. I learned about the 32 open air waste transfer stations in, in the South Bronx community. I learned about the fact that I live next to one of the largest food distribution centers in the world, and most of that food was not coming into my community. And so her thing was like, we can't fix everything, but you can help us fix this. And so from that day, I started working with them.
1: Tanya began her own project to improve the South Bronx, the Black Project. The Black Project evolved into a massive community outreach program based on access to locally grown food. But it didn't start that way. It started with Tanya and a few other young mothers hanging out and talking about their families and their struggles.
2: I started doing some mommy and me yoga classes to create safe spaces for women that I knew were struggling with their children. So create a space where they could go with their children and bond and build community with other women with similar struggles and challenges and gifts and all that kind of stuff. At the end of our 60 minute yoga session we'd have 30 minutes to juice and have raw cheeses and fancy crackers and all that kind of stuff and we'd talk about how to be healthier. And I started hearing the women talking about the things that were happening in their lives that were real obstacles for them when they accumulated on top of one another to keep them from being consistent at the mommy and me yoga classes that kept them from like going to the gym that did not motivate them to get on a train and go all the way downtown to get the food that we had the theme I kept hearing was about like quality of life and economics Um, and for me it was food because it was like well the one thing that I see here all the time are all of these empty lots. Why can't we grow food on them? right? Who says the food has just gotta be grown in a rural area? Food can be grown wherever there's sunlight and air and you can get some water. Where other people saw degradation, I saw the potential to grow berries and vegetables and have a gazebo. I'm going into the grocery store, and you want me to pay $3 for this bunch of lettuce that's got a blue fur coat on it. Or these avocados that I open up, and they all black and mushy on the inside. Or the strawberries that look good on top, and then I get them home, and they're maggots and mole on the bottom side. Right? I was like, no, 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 no. My, my business school education from Baruch kicked in. I was like, y'all need a healthy dose of effing competition. So if we can grow this food and we can get the mothers in this community who are living in the shelters, who are on welfare, who are struggling, who are smart, but maybe underemployed and having some of the same challenges I had, then we can start doing some real, like, business development. I'm not going to sit here and tell you, like, I had all these resources and, you know, I had done these studies. I did this from a really raw, organic,
1: gut place. Tanya felt that no one was coming in to rescue the South Bronx. They had to save themselves.
2: There are developers who mean well, but who I'm still very cynical of, who take advantage of subsidies, come in and put in these really amazing things that are supposedly for the community members of the South Bronx, but really just bring in middle-class folks or higher income folks from other neighborhoods and just continue to isolate the folks who are the most marginalized, right? And so what happens is these folks continue to get pushed to the side. We're going to do affordable housing, but really we're just doing affordable housing for people who have two parent or two household incomes, you know, who can make a certain amount a year, right? And the folks who are low income, Continue to be invisible. And so for me, that is what the Black Project is about. It is about saying to women, you are, and their children, and their husbands, or their partners, or their boyfriends, or their wives, you are not invisible. Your poverty is not a scarlet letter on your chest. It is not a yoke that you need to walk around with on your back or across to carry that you should somehow feel shameful about. And all the pathologies that are existing in our community as a symptom of that shame, we need to to unyoke ourselves from.
1: And we can do that through food. One of the creative ways that Tanya has begun to unyoke her community is with a mobile market, an old school bus that distributes fresh produce and runs on vegetable oil.
2: We started talking about what resources we did have, right? And so my re- my ability at this point to, to be able to draw an audience, really starting to get some foothold as a knowledgeable speaker around what it meant to have lack of access to food in poor communities and how that impacts families. And a very close friend was this new farmer who um, had adopted all of these buses um, and one had the potential to be converted to run on vegetable oil. So we started just very simply, what if we could take your bus? and put food on it that you guys grew and then i worked with folks downstate in the city to get access to this put the things in place the systems in place that would nurture that so i started thinking about Mobile markets because Jalal and I have been talking about this bus. So I started plugging that into Google. And lo and behold, a whole crap load of stuff about mobile markets started coming up. Boxcar grocers out, I believe, in New Orleans and um, Fresh Moves in Chicago. And there was nobody doing it in the city. And then I got really excited because I was like, y'all always trying to put some shit on the Bronx about how bad it is. We're going to do some shit that's going to be great. And we're going to be the first one to do it. And then y'all going to have to look at us about how we did this amazing project around food and not just look at us around food around public health disparities you know obesity diabetes you know food related illnesses you could talk about how we innovated something that elevated this community and gave some folks some jobs I got a commitment from the farmers up at Wasaic Community Farm, which Jalal is the farmer at, that I could use one of their buses and that we would actually do a joint venture where the bus would be a market and a prison trip CSA. So they would use this bus that we would convert to vegetable oil, that we put solar panels on that we would like trick out, you know, like sort of like a eco version of Pimp My Ride.
1: So you want to be a player, but your wheels ain't flying. You gotta hit us up to get a pimped out ride. You gotta pimp out
2: ride. And we would then use this to liberate and elevate people of color who were literally Starving or hungry and so from December until now we've been able to raise about $65,000 for the mobile market The bus has been converted it now runs on vegetable oil. We've hired the builders put down the deposit We are putting uh, out an application to get funding for solar panels on the bus so that we can not be overly relying on fossil fuels for Electricity. We have repainted the bus. It is beautiful now. It's like a blue background but with like lots of different colors, green leaves and vines and purple kale on the back and then on the front, the artist Crystal Clarity gave it this beautiful face that was really like when I took a step back and looked at it, she, the, the like indigenous ancestors clearly were moving through her that day. Like you could see like a lot of the sort of Aztec and Mayan sort of influence in, in the face of this bus. We're talking about reupholstering the seats so that it have like kente cloth on it. And so that, you know, we've got the indigenous mothers on the front and we've got the African mothers on the inside. And, you know, which is, you know, I like to call the womb of the bus where we're gonna have the food. And so we are launching next month. We're going to take the bus uh, once a week around to a different South Bronx neighborhood, give out some produce, let folks get information about the bus, sign up on the mailing list so they can get the schedule when the schedule finally comes out, um, get them to sign a petition because we want to get space in this community to start an
1: urban farm. And, uh, you know, that's where we're at. Thanks to our guest, Tanya Fields. You can learn more about her amazing initiatives with the Black Project at The dot com. If you have any ideas for future shows,
0: make sure to contact us at bcrw at barnard.edu. Thanks to Pam Phillips for co-hosting and a special thanks to Sarah Dooley for composing our podcast theme. You can download our podcast at the end of each month on iTunes. Just search for Dare to Use the F Word. Or you can listen at BCRW's website at bcrw.barnard.edu. But for now, we'll leave you with a dare. Use the F word.